One of my favorite cartoons growing up. You know, guess what it was? Tom and Jerry. Sebastian knows me. Yeah, we've been good friends for a while. Yes, my favorite ca- cartoon growing up have been, uh, has been Tom and Jerry. Uh, the cat always chasing the mouse. And most of the time, the mouse finds ways to escape. The chase between these two characters created and creates so much laughter and thrill. Uh, stories of escape are great, uh, especially if you're just watching. They're not so great if you are in the midst of the chase, and especially if you are the one being chased. Uh, being on the run, being chased is exhausting. And some of you this morning might be able to identify with that feeling. Uh, David uh, was the new king. God had anointed him through Samuel to be the new king who would reign over God's people. But instead of reigning, as one pastor put it, instead of reigning, David is running. And he keeps running. And it feels like the running is not stopping. Today we're looking at two stories of escape from David's life. David is escaping from Saul's clutches twice. And the aim of these stories is not to create laughter or thrill in us. Instead, it's to create strength. Strength in the God whose plans prevail no matter how diligent men's pursuit is. So let's open God's Word to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 23. Uh, we'll be reading from verse 1 to, chapter 29, to verse 29, the end of the chapter. As you open the, the, the Word of God to 1 Samuel, chapter 23, if you're visiting with us, uh, we just want to remind you or let you know that we are working through the sermon series on the book of 1 Samuel, understanding what God intended to do with his people to bring them uh, a king after God's own heart. God had reigned over his people, but they have rejected the Lord as their king. Well, let's see how things turn out in the unfolding of, of wanting a king to be like the nations, and that king turning out to be very different than what God intended for them to have. Listen to the word of God this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 23. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again. 
And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war, to go down to Keilah, to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. And David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. And David and his men, who were about 600 men, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went where, wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horash. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horash and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horash, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horash? On the hill of Hakilah, which is south of Jeshimon. Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is. And who has seen him there? For it is told me that he is very cunning. See therefore and take note of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him among, out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men 
were in the wilderness of Maun, in the Arabah, to the south of Jemishon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us and our hearts this morning. Would you join me in prayer asking God to bless the preaching of his word in our hearts? Let's pray. Father, as we have heard your word read, we ask that you open our hearts. Enable our hearts to hear what you intend to communicate through your word. And I pray that you would give me clarity and anointing of your spirit to proclaim it faithfully for the glory of your great name and for our instruction and the building up of your people. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for his glory and honor. Amen. What shall we make of these two stories of escape? First, they are not primarily about you and I. They are, first of all, about the kind of king that God has set up for his people and how God's plans prevailed even when the people of Israel sided with the rejected king against God's anointed king. The two stories of escape have some common features. In both stories, the people of Israel show themselves ready to surrender David, the anointed king, to Saul, the rejected king. And yet in both stories, David escapes. He escapes in the nick of time. And the reason David escapes is not because he is cunning, as Saul describes him in this chapter. The reason for David's escape is given to us by the narrator in verse 14. Verse 14 says, And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into Saul's hand. And the main lesson for us today, if we could summarize this whole chapter, is that on the run with God is better than chasing against God. On the run with God is better than chasing after whatever against God. 
this lesson is unfolded by the narrator in three moves. Uh, we see three moves even though we have two stories. You say, why, why are, are there three moves? It's, is this just a, a, a preacher's default? You always have to have three points. I assure you it's not. Here's the structure of the passage. Yes, there are two stories of escape. But in, in between the two stories, there is this little haven, this little respite for David that he gets from Jonathan. This short story of Jonathan visiting David, finding him out while his dad, Saul, could not find David. Jonathan, Saul's son, finds David. So it's like two peaks, two mountains of, of running, running, running. And in between, there's this, there's this moment when David is strengthened by Jonathan. So because there's, there's two stories of escape with, with a story of, of strengthening in the middle, really this chapter has three moves. And these three moves will unpack the three points of this message. First point, dependent on God. The first mo move in the story of strength from stories of escape is that God, the king that God sets for his people is dependent on God. The first escape story in this chapter shows David's dependence on the Lord. In the trip to Keilah, this event at Keilah uh, shows David's dependence on the Lord so clearly. Let's look how. When David hears that the Philistines attack the people of, of Keilah, he asks the Lord if he should go and attack the Philistines and rescue the Israelites of Keilah. And the Lord said in verse 2, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Now, remember the, the context, historically what's going on in David's life. He's on the run officially. He ran from Saul's service because it was, it was very clear that Saul is seeking to kill David. And in the previous chapter, chapter 22, we saw that Saul's determination to kill David was so hard, so fierce, that Saul was willing to, to wipe out an entire city of priests, the city of Nob. David and his men are on the run throughout the land of Judah. They don't have a place of their own. They're moving from place to place. And in that context, David hears the news of the Israelites being taken over at Keilah, which was on the border between Judah and the land of Philistia. And David asks, Lord, should I go and save the people of Keilah? Now, David could have said, Saul is the king, officially. It's his job to save the people. David prays, and the Lord says, you go, David. And when David's men find out the Lord's direction, the men that were following David don't want to go. Listen to their response, their reasoning. Verse 3, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Now, can you sympathize with the men in David's army? 
They're all running away from Saul. They don't have their own place. They're fugitives. They're seeking a, a place of safety. Why go to Keilah, which was on the border between Judah and Philistia, and expose themselves to another enemy besides Saul, to the Philistines? Why do that? Humanly speaking, it makes no sense. No surprise to hear David's men say that they are afraid. So what does David do? He asks of the Lord again. And the Lord tells him, David, go. And what does David do? When the wish of his people and the will of the Lord don't match up, We've seen that challenge before with the first king of Israel, with Saul. When the wish of the people and the will of the Lord didn't match up, remember what Saul did in chapter 15? He was afraid of the people. That's why he didn't kill the Amalekites. Here, David is faced between this choice, the fear of the people and the will of the Lord. The Lord says, David, go. And David leads the people to do what the Lord has said. This is the kind of king God's people need. One who depends on the Lord to know his will and to act on his will. To do what the Lord reveals, even when, he reveal, when, when what he reveals does not match with what people want. Friends, this is the kind of spiritual leaders that God's people need, even today. On the second ask, the Lord confirms that he wants David to go. But here's the point. The Lord's will is more important than our fears. God can call us to act despite our fears. When he does so, it's to show us that he's the one who brings the results, not us. As you seek the Lord through prayer, be open to hear that God may call you to do the very thing you are afraid of. That's what happened in the story of David being called by the Lord to go against the Philistines at Keilah. And this shows that our prayers are more important than our fears. And think about it. How often most of us are more consumed with our fears than our prayers. More of us stay up late at night and can't fall asleep, not because we want to pray, but because we're afraid. It's fears that oftentimes keep us awake at night more than prayer. Our fears consume us more than our prayers. And here's David being more concerned about what he prays and what he hears from the Lord than the fears that were going around him in those moments. The story of David rescuing Keilah is not over simply when David goes and attacks the people of Keilah and wins a victory against them. 
Actually, all that was just the setup for the greater tension that is developed in the story. All that was a setup for what Saul planned to do to David. The true ch- tension in the story arises not when the Philistines attack Keilah and David goes and rescues uh, the Israelites from the Philistines. The, the, the tension arises when we find out that Saul plans to attack Keilah because David was there. And notice what Saul does. Uh, this is a, the rising tension in the story. First, Saul assumes that God is handing David into Saul's hands. Look at verse 7. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Now the the narrator will close this story of, of the first escape in verse 14 by telling us in the most explicit terms, Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Now, why does the narrator bring this up for us? Saul assumed that he knew what the Lord wanted him to do. Even though there's no praying with Saul. There's no seeking of the Lord's will with Saul in the story. In this chapter, in this very story, David inquires of the Lord four times to know what the Lord's will is. You don't hear that from Saul in this chapter. Actually, if you kept reading backwards in the book of 1 Samuel, when Saul was supposed to attack the Philistines in chapter 14, he did not inquire of the Lord. The priest had to stop him and said, before we go out to battle, why don't we inquire of the Lord to see if this is what the Lord wants us to do? And, 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 and Saul did at that time, but the Lord did not respond to Saul. Read chapter 14. And what's, what's amazing is that Throughout this book, the theme of asking of the Lord has been developing in the background. Do you remember how the book started in the first place? With the story of Hannah, a barren wife who could not have a son, who could not have children. And do you remember how Hannah, the barren wife, went to the Lord and asked of the Lord? And the Lord answered Hannah's prayer, gave her a son. She called his name Samuel. And she tells us what is the significance of the name Samuel. She said in verse, in chapter 1, for I have asked him from the Lord. I have asked for him from the Lord. The entire book of 1 Samuel starts on this note of a woman asking from God in prayer. And here is King Saul failing to inquire of the Lord. He's Israel's first king. We don't see him inquiring of the Lord. And yet, he assumes that he knows what God is doing. And he assumes that God is on his side. 
Friends, it is so easy for us to assume that the Lord is on, is on our side when certain events seem to fit well with our agenda and wishes. There are some people who determine the will of the Lord based on what appears to be quote-unquote unexpected coincidences. And if I, wanna, if I can encourage you this morning with this caution, I want to encourage you with this caution. Beware. Be cautious of not assuming that every unexpected coincidence is God's will just because it appears to be favorable to what we desire. Some people try to determine God's will by looking after such unexpected coincidences. And I want to encourage you not to do that. Don't try to read into events your assumption of what God's will must be just because it matches with your hopes and your desires. Be careful that you don't put on God's tab, on the tab of God's will, what really is just your own will. Don't confuse the two. Uh, this brings up another application. The king whom God has chosen is a king dependent on the Lord for direction. Whereas Saul is a king who is dependent on himself, on his strategies, on his servants, on what he hears from people, Instead of hearing from the Lord, David is a king elect who is seen as dependent on the Lord. And we see it through so much prayer in David's life. And by the way, this is not the only time David prays. Throughout this journey, he's been writing psalms. We'll see him write another psalm in the second story of escape. Psalm 54, which was read earlier in the service. The king to be that God wants over his people is a king who is dependent on the Lord, who listens to the Lord, who inquires of the Lord. And we are to be a people who follow that kind of a king. We are to be a people who are a praying people, both in our private lives and in our corporate life as a church one of my current pastoral griefs in the season of the pandemic you know what it is there's a few one of them is that our evening prayer services have not been able to be attended as once we used to attend them seeking the Lord together in prayer having a rhythm in the life of our church, a corporate rhythm in the life of our church where, where there's eagerness among us and there's willingness and ability and, and, and readiness to gather regularly to pray and seek the Lord. A king who is dependent on the Lord through prayer, leading a people who would be dependent on the Lord's will. This is, this is what I desire for us as a congregation. But the climactic point in the story is not even just this moment. The climactic point in the story of David saving Keilah 
is when David asks the Lord if the people of Keilah will surrender David to Saul. And the Lord says to David, they will. And this leads us to see the really the biggest point of the story of the first story of escape. David's reward for doing what God had called him to do in Keilah was to hear the very people he saved were the people who were willing to surrender him into Saul's hands. Is it possible that the Lord could be calling his people to act in ways that puts us at greater risks? Is it possible that the Lord could be calling his people to act in ways that puts us at greater risks? Imagine what could have gone on in David's heart at the moment. Or imagine what you would have done if you were in David's place at that moment. Lord, I sought your will. Should I go to Keilah or not? You told me to go. My people told me not to go. I sought your will again. You told me to go. I went. You gave me a great victory. And now, and now I'm in danger by the very people that, have, that I've saved? Really, Lord? This is what it means to be king over your people? This is what you've called me to? Can you imagine the kind of self-pity? could have grown into David's heart? If I was in David's place, that's where my heart would have been at this moment. Friends, check your heart to see if you might be worshiping the, God, the idol of safety such that you evaluate God's will primarily through the grid of what is the path of least risks and least fears. And if that's what we use as a filter to understand what, God, what God's will must be for us, friends, we are in for a big surprise. Because we see in David, the king after God's own heart, that God took him and led him on paths that actually were riskier than what he wanted to be on and, be and walk on. But even with the disappointing news that people would surrender David, the author tells us in verse 14 that God would not surrender David. Even if the people are willing to surrender David, God is not willing to surrender David. God's will is more important than the people's will. So depending on the Lord, even when it's riskier, is always a better path. The lesson we can learn from this first major rescue story is that depending on the Lord is better even when it's riskier. Would you, would you rather be in a risky place with the Lord than in a safe place without Him? Would you rather be in a risky place with the Lord than in a safe place without Him. Depending on the Lord, this is the first characteristic of the King that God sets up for His people, even when God's people reject Him. Point number two, strengthened 
God. Strengthen in God. We see this in the, in the second move of the story in verses 15 through 18. Starting with verse 15, David came to realize uh, of Saul's regular expeditions to seek David's life. So David keeps changing locations. This time it's the wilderness of Ziph. It's a new setting for David where he thought he could be safe. Yet staying in that safe place does not last very long because the Ziphites will betray David, Saul. But before that tension develops, the author tells us of a surprising visit from Jonathan. While Saul could not find David, we're told in verse 16 that Jonathan was able to find David to go to him, to meet him, and to encourage him. What an unexpected visit. Why did Jonathan go to David? The answer is simple, to encourage him. To encourage him. David did not get to hear what the narrator has been telling us in verse 14. Remember how the first story of escape ended in verse 14? Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hands. Now, that information is inside information just for us, the readers. At this point in the story, David doesn't know that. How would David know? How would David know that the Lord is determined to keep David away from Saul's hands? Well, the answer is the Lord sends Jonathan to refresh David, to remind David of God's promises for David. Through the visit of Jonathan, the Lord aimed to strengthen David. And and this is what the narrator uh, tells us. Look at verse 16. Actually, before we look at verse 16, look at what what, uh, Jonathan told David in verse 17. Hear the words of David. Do not fear. I mean, hear the words of Jonathan to David. Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. David needed to be reminded of God's plan to make David king. Jonathan's efforts are interpreted by the narrator with these words in verse 16. Look at verse 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose, went to David at Horesh, and strengthened his hand in God. This is what Jonathan's words, what Jonathan's visit did for David, to strengthen David's hand. The, the phrase to strengthen one's hand was, uh, it was a Hebrew idiom for the ministry of encouragement. This is what biblical encouragement is, to encourage others not to put trust in themselves, but in the Lord. To encourage other, others to see the, what the Lord is doing in them and around them and what the Lord will ultimately do even if in the moment the reality does not seem to match the promises of God. What surprises me at this moment in the story is how much Jonathan has to go out of his way to be this encouragement for David. This is not Jonathan crossing paths with David um, out in the park while running on trails and getting some exercise. 
No. Jonathan goes out of his way to find an isolated man who was running away from the king of Israel to save his life. Jonathan goes out of his way to find David, to spend time with him, to talk to him, to encourage him. Consider, dear friends, that the ministry of encouragement should not simply be those coincidental crossings of path among us, but that we should actually consider going out of our way to seek those who are isolated, those who are out of sight, those who are not around us, and to seek them, to encourage them. Do you go out of your way to encourage others? Do you go out of your way to seek those who are far from you? And how timely this encouragement is for us even now after a year of being in the pandemic. Think how much this pandemic has put us far from each other. In what ways are you seeking others out? One of the sweetest ways I've seen the Lord among us is to see how the Lord um, led Pastor Taylor a few weeks ago in our evening service to lead us to pray for people that we miss seeing. And just have a time, open time of prayer, to pray by name for members that we miss seeing. I was also so encouraged a few weeks ago hearing from one of our elders how another family reached out to him to ask him how he is doing. It was not a response to him asking how they're doing and they just asked back in return. No, it was a fresh asking, how are you doing? How can we be praying for you? Going out of your way. Say, I want to reach out to someone I haven't seen. I want to hear what they're doing how they're doing. See how I can be praying for them. Are you making it a point to go out of your way to be a means that the Lord can use to strengthen others in the Lord by your intentional going out of your way to encourage others? Friends, I want to encourage us in the ministry of encouragement. Encouragement begins with seeking others with listening how they're doing, with praying for them, and, if able, simply being with them. Do it outside. Do it wherever people are comfortable. But don't just stay to yourself. Reach out. And notice what they do before David and Jonathan depart. Verse 18, the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and, Dave, and Jonathan went home. Here's another detail that surprises me about David and Jonathan. Every time these two see each other, they've been making a covenant. You're wondering, didn't you do this last time? And the previous time? And the previous time? It shows that their, their loyalty and love for one another is a committed kind of love, a committed covenant love. 
It shows willingness to renew their vows of loyalty. Friends, to many believers, even today, the idea of loving other believers oftentimes is considered to be ideal in a setting of non-committal, loose love affiliation. No commitments. Let's just love each other. No commitments. This is the air that Christians are breathing in our day these days. Let's just love each other, but no commitment. What Jonathan and David show us is that the kingdom that God wants to set up is to have a king who has a committed love with those who follow him. And Jonathan shows that those who follow the king the Lord sets up over his people are to be the kind of people who have a committed covenantal love for the king and for one another. Friends, when we celebrated the Lord's Supper last Sunday, those of us who are members of this church have read afresh our membership covenant. We have a membership covenant because we want to make clear that our love for one another is a covenantal, committed love. Coming from the love that the Lord has shown us, because He calls us to love each other in a certain way, our membership covenant simply puts on display, puts in writing clearly what it means to be in a covenant relationship with each other. David and Jonathan make another covenant, a new reaffirmation of their covenant for each other. I'm not sure if you realize, in the story of 1 Samuel, this is the last time these two see each other. From this moment on, they will never see each other on this side of eternity. Because in the last chapter of the book, Jonathan dies with his father on the battlefield. How sweet that in his last visit with David, Jonathan not only encouraged David, strengthened David's hand in the Lord, but also reaffirmed his covenant with God's anointed king. Let me ask you, are your relationships with others in the kingdom of God characterized by a committed love, by a covenant love, not merely affections that choose to remain non-committal. Consider the beauty of a committed covenant love between those who belong in God's kingdom. Here in our church, this is the essence of church membership. We care about church membership not because we want to have a name on a roster, care about church membership because membership here is a display of this covenant committed love for one another. So if you're a visitor, I encourage you to consider whether the Lord calls you to be a member in this church or in another gospel preaching church in our city. And by God's grace, there's a number of gospel preaching churches in our city. But whether the Lord calls you to come here or to go to one of the other gospel churches in our city, consider the beauty of a committed covenant love between God's people. If the Lord calls you here, we encourage you to become a member. 
to, to make a stand. Say, I want to commit to God and to His people and to make a covenant with each other. Consider that the way we commit to love one another with a committed covenantal love could be God's means of strengthening others around us. And when we act on that covenant love for each other, we strengthen others. And God uses us for the strengthening of others. Through Jonathan's going out of his way to visit David, the Lord used Jonathan to strengthen David's hands in the Lord. For the beauty and the goodness of, God, of Jonathan's encouragement and the visit to David is contrasted with the treachery of the Ziphites, who out of their own initiative go out of their way unsolicited to seek audience with Saul and to tell them where David is hiding. Yet even from this new danger, David is rescued by God. And this brings us to the third and final point of the message this morning. Rescued by God. We've seen point one, dependent on the Lord, dependent on God. We've seen point number two, strengthened in God. Point number three, rescued by God. And we see this in, in verses 19 through 29. After Jonathan returned home from encouraging David's hand in God, the author tells us the last story of escape in this chapter. The Ziphites go to Saul and tell them that they've seen David. Now, if you knew a little bit about the geography of Israel, the wilderness of Ziph is a, a wide plain that has one big tall mountain. And the Ziphites were living on that mountain. And from that tall mountain, they were able to see the entire wilderness of Ziph. Imagine if you've gone to the, the Grand Canyon, and if you stay at the top of the canyon, and you're able to see the expanse of everything below. And you may see trails of, and people who are walking down the trail in the canyon. Or some who might be taking the, the boat through the little canyon. That, that's the kind of advantage that Ziphites had with David. They had a natural advantage of being able to see everything. And if David was hiding alone as just one man, that may be harder to see. But David was followed by 600 men. And an army of 600 men is not as easy to hide from when someone is watching you from that kind of height. And the Ziphites had that advantage. And uncalled for, no threats from Saul, no solicitation from Saul, they initiate, they go out of their way to go to Saul and tell him, we've seen David. We'd love to help you to do what your heart's desire is, and that is to catch David. And you, you come with us, and we'll do our part, and we will surrender him into your hands. And notice Saul's charge. He sends them out ahead of him to look diligently. Verse 23, Therefore, take note of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he's in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. What stands out in these details between Saul and the Ziphites is 
not only the human advantage that now Saul has through the help of the Ziphites, but also the diligence. The diligence that Saul charges these Ziphites to execute in the, in the searching of, of David. With such diligence and advantage at Saul's disposal, it's no surprise that Saul's army gets really, really close to, chap- to capturing David. It's actually so close that Saul's army is on one side of the mountain and David's army is on the same mountain on the other side. And had the chase continued just a little longer, David and his men would have been captured by Saul. But then comes verse 27. A messenger from a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. The author does not tell us explicitly that the Lord was at work in this. But if you have been reading this whole chapter, you remember the anchor of this chapter being verse 14. Saul sought David every day, but the Lord did not give David into Saul's hands. That's the anchor of this of this chapter. And here the story of the Ziphites and of this second rescue is a, a simply an outplaying or an unfolding of verse 14. And here is the point of this second story of escape. God rescued David despite all human advantages and diligence. God rescued David despite all human advantages and diligence. Humanly speaking, Saul was at a much higher advantage. But it doesn't matter. What are all the human advantages against God's anointed king? The Lord's plans prevail despite all human diligence and advantages. If the Lord did not want to give David into Saul's hands, it doesn't matter if Saul had the service of the Ziphites with him. Friends, no human diligence can overcome God's plans. Learn to find rest in the Lord and comfort in what will prevail. It's not the people's plans, but the Lord's plans. Let this rest, let this comfort be a means of strengthening you today in the Lord. The one we must be watching in the story is not Saul, not his chasing, and honestly, not even David, but the Lord. His plans in these stories prevail. Not Saul's ingenuity, not Saul's loyal servants, not David's, quote, cunning escapes. Saul thought he was chasing David. Saul thought that if David escaped, it's because he was cunning. But the narrator tells us the reason why Saul can't catch David is because the Lord would not give David into Saul's hands. So the narrator is telling us that Saul is not simply fighting David. Saul is actually fighting and chasing 
against the Lord's plans. And the scary part is that in this chapter, Saul thinks that the Lord is on his side. That's the scary part. Chasing against the Lord. Chasing against what the Lord wants. And yet thinking that the Lord is on, is on your side. Friends, is it possible to be chasing plans in our lives that are against what the Lord wants to do, even while thinking that he's on our side? I'm afraid that this second story uh, of, of escape tells us that that is possible. Now, you may be saying, it's nice when everything turns out well, in the end, for David. It's nice when the Lord escaped and, and, and rescued David in the nick of time for the second time in this chapter. <laughs> but what about those times when, what about those times in my life? What about those times in your life where you feel like the Lord has not come through? Where you feel like in the nick of time, you were left alone? What about those experiences? There's another king who was chased. There's another king who was dependent on the Lord through prayer and prayed for the will of the Lord. And we're told that the Lord assisted him and strengthened him through an angel. And yet, when the time came for the rescue from death, the Lord turned his face from him. It's one of David's descendants, King Jesus. When he was in Gethsemane, remember, he sought the Lord in prayer. He asked two of his disciples to join him in prayer, and they fell asleep he was left alone and he asked the father father if it is your will may this cup be taken away from me and the Lord strengthened Jesus through an angel and yet the Lord did not take away the cup the Lord allowed Jesus to face death there was no mountain of escape in that trial. Jesus had to drink the cup. He tasted death. He was crucified. And on the cross, he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, God allowed Jesus to be forsaken in that moment. So that through his death, through his death as a substitute for sinners, God could rescue you and I from the bondage of our sin, and from the bondage of death, from the bondage of eternal damnation in hell. God has turned away his face from his only begotten son so that through his death, you and I can be rescued by God. And three days later, 
God rescued Jesus, not from the cross, but from the grave. After tasting the bitter taste of crucifixion and of death, God rose Jesus from the grave, proving that God has indeed rescued his son so that through his resurrection, all those who turn to Christ can receive the life of God. My dear friends, David experienced a foreshadow of what Jesus would experience. The betrayal, the strengthening of God, and yet, unlike Jesus, David was rescued in the nick of time, showing us that God is able to rescue. But even if he doesn't do it the way we expect it in the moment, look to the better and ultimate king that David points to, King Jesus. Should even the grave take a hold of us, should all our plans and hopes be shattered by the God who seems not to answer us in the way we would hope or expect in this life, be assured of this. That king will come through for us because he has come through in Jesus, rescuing him from the clutches of death. The story ends with the, the news or the detail that the place on which all these things have taken place, the mountain is called the Rock of Escape. For David, that mountain on which Saul came so close to him became humanly impossible to escape, and yet God intervened miraculously and rescued David. But that mountain of escape for us is not, it's no longer a physical mountain. That mountain of escape for us, for you and I, it's actually Jesus. On that mountain, the Lord did a much greater rescue. On that mountain, there was a much greater chasing. It was a chasing of God after sinners to rescue us from the bondage of sin, from the penalty of sin, from the curse of sin. And God allowed Jesus to taste the penalty of death. And God rescued him from death so that those who turn to him would be saved. Friend, if you're not a Christian, consider the greatest rescue that God has done for us, not in David, but in David's descendant, Jesus Christ. If you are a Christ follower, let these stories of escape, of escape strengthen you to continue to depend on the Lord, to be strengthened in the Lord, and to wait to be rescued by the Lord. Whatever his timing is, trust that God's plans with his anointed king will succeed no matter how high the odds are against him. Turn to him. Depend on him. Be strengthened in him. Be rescued by him. Let's pray.